Hey folks, it's John with another AIFA Conversation. Today's talk is with Janetta St. Clair. She is an actress and stand-up comedian. We talk about growing up in the Midwest, church, high school, bartending while drunk, and bartending while sober. I also found out that she didn't get the nerve to get up on stage and do stand-up until after she got sober. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Janetta St. Clair. How long have you been sober? I have been sober, I am a year, five months, and a few days, and coming up on a year and a half. Yeah. That's awesome. Coming up on a year and a half. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's been a wild ride for sure, actually, just somebody just texted me and they were like, congrats on sobriety. And in my mind, I'm like, oh yeah, no, I have time. <laughs> I said that the other day. I was like, oh, I have time. I don't have time. I have a year and five months, which I mean is a year and five months, you know, and that's great. But yeah, I have a year and five months. It feels like a lifetime ago that I was actually drinking. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, what, I guess, can I ask you what, what drew you to drinking or when did you start? Was it something, you know, I know a lot of these things are often deep rooted in childhood or high school or, um, um, for me, it was, it was like always the coolest thing. Um, I definitely started drinking and smoking cigarettes because, my older siblings did it and I thought it was really, really cool. And, um, I, I remember when I was younger, um, I loved, I mean, when I'm saying younger, I'm talking like, I want to say like six. I remember loving the smell of beer. I loved it so much. And I would take my dad's like beer bottle caps and I would just sniff them because I love the smell of beer so much. And I don't know if that means like that's when it all got serious, but I used to pretend like incense sticks for cigarettes. And then I stole my brother's cigarettes from my mom's like dresser because she stole them from him. And so I started, and that was when I was in like fifth grade. Um, and the first time though, that I like, I mean, I would have like, my parents would be like, here, you know, like you can try wine or you can have a sip of beer um, or whatever. Not like they were, never wanted us to drink by any means, mm-hmm. like at that age, but it was just like, I don't know. I grew up in the Midwest. It was just kind of like how it was. And so when I first drank though, I think I was 14 was the first time, like I really drank and it was a house party and I, it was like a vodka lemonade type mix. And somebody was like, oh, this is like Zima or Smirnoff or whatever mm-hmm. those ones are. And I was like, oh, okay. And so drank it and didn't stop drinking it and ended up throwing up in the front lawn of that guy's house. And the next day he was like, oh man, like his parents like let us party at his house. But his, he was like, you, you drank in our, you know, you, or you threw up in my front yard. My parents didn't be so mad. I was like, well, they shouldn't have let us drink at their place. <laughs> and I just like, just took off from there. Um, first time I got in trouble, trouble was like jungle juice and like a big old trash barrel. 
at some party in Indiana. (laughs) It just, it's what, when you think of Indiana, you think jungle juice in a trash barrel. Like that's in my opinion, (laughs) that's like what you think. Uh Uh-huh. Indiana. But like, that's just how real it got. And that was like, yeah. So from 14 on, it was just a tear. And um, I drank pretty consistently throughout my childhood, like throughout high school. Um, How was high school? Was it? Oh, boy. Yeah. How was high school? How was high school? Um, (laughs) High school was, oh, boy. I was, um, my dad was the principal of my high school. My mom was my teacher. And um, my brother was a senior. I was a freshman. And my other siblings uh, would substitute teach. So we were just a family affair in my high school. It was a private um, religious school. And so Mm -hmm. it was very much, um, I was very much like the rebel. Um, I remember I got randomly drug tested twice in a month, quote unquote, randomly by my father. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) because I was dating the like, the junior in high school that was like the class clown and whatever. And, um, high school was like my first few years were sports and I got suspended for smoking from like, from a volleyball, like two volleyball games. And I was like playing basketball and volleyball, cheerleading, softball, doing all this stuff. And then, um, but I was like, more I was just super rebellious and like I just partied on the weekends with all the other kids and like just got away with everything I'm the youngest of four so it was kind of at that point my parents were like meh (laughs) we tried (laughs) like she's the last one um and so but by my junior year of high school is when I was like forget sports I'm doing theater Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I switched and I did 180 and the the there was like, I dealt with a lot of bullying in high school. Um, I was like, um, I was deemed like, the thing is, is if you kissed a boy, you're a slut, you know? And that's how it was in, uh, in a private Lutheran high school. It was just that it was, it was just that it was, that's how it was. You know, it didn't matter. I, I just didn't, uh, a lot of, people treated me differently because of that. And, um, I think it really played an effect on my drinking and just how I was socially and how I, um, kind of changed like, and became who I was. Um, I, I should say actually that my freshman year of high school, I overdosed when I was 14, um, on Tylenol and I was, um, it was a suicide attempt and it was really like the start of, the end you know what I mean like the start of the end of my I don't know of my childhood it like really knocked me into like projecting through my high school years um so yeah so so high school was really really challenging for me um but by my senior year um still fully a smoker fully drinking um on the weekends and you know sometimes during the week like it would be cool if you could get away with it by like drinking in class or kind of how it felt was like I could get away with anything because my parents didn't really care anymore. And right. they still loved me and they were still there for me and they were still like good parents. But 
it was just, it was just different. Like my sister, the oldest, she got, you know, one end of it and she, you know, had very strict parents where I had like not strict parents. And you would think with, you know, them being, um, teachers and things, it would be a different way, but it just kind of wasn't. Um, and so I think when it happened, it was really like trying to be seen, um, as well as trying to find a way out. Um, so for me, it was like, it was a suicide attempt, but it was also like a cry for help, um, from my family. And then from there, that's when I started, uh, I did therapy for like a year and a half. I was on medication for a little bit. And then, um, and then after that, I, you know, got better, (laughs) you know, I was Mm -hmm. curious, um, but that's not the case, obviously. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of how it all went. And then by my senior year, I, um, I had gotten into an acting academy in Los Angeles and, I was like, it was my dream to just, since I was in, I think eighth grade, I did a class or I did a family trip. We get to choose like where we want to go. And I wanted to go to Los Angeles and I just always wanted to act and I always wanted to do theater. Um, and I always wanted to perform like since I was really little, my dad was like a theater director. So I always was like around it. And so I, um, got into this acting Academy and that's really how I got out here. Um, but I was out here for um, months for my first semester and I actually got into a really horrible situation with somebody back in Indiana and moved back for a year and was in a very like abusive relationship uh, for a year of my life. And then I moved back to California and I've been out here ever since. I think that was like 2009. And Drinking, alcohol, being getting into into show business in general because you've you've done mm-hmm. acting, you do stand up, um, mm-hmm. writing, and all that stuff. How do you how do you as somebody who just moves out there from Indiana? And it sounds you know this sort of very, um, for lack of a better word, that cliche story of a Midwest <laughs> person mm-hmm. going out to pursue acting in this dream and 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 doing it, and you've done it. How do you? navigate what I imagine to be a very, um, you know, alcohol is a currency in bars when you're mm-hmm. doing stand-up or you're performing of any kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess in the beginning, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I'm sure that it was, it was readily available. Drugs, alcohol, I don't know if that was in your story. Yeah. Going back there. Yeah, I would say um, it was. And the thing the thing was, is when I moved back after that, after that relationship ended, uh, that was like another thing that I would say like age 14 and age 18 to 20 were like big moments in my life that really like propelled me into a new like level of adulthood. Um, so when I moved back to California and to Los Angeles, I, I mean, I remember jugs of Carlo Rossi on the regular Mm -hmm becoming a part of my weekends. Um, you know, just, but in that, at that time I was, you know, 20, 21 and that was normal. Everybody around me was drinking just as heavily as I was. I thought, um, and blacking out as often as I was, was, I thought blacking out meant you did it right. (laughs) Like I thought blacking out (laughs) not remembering was cool. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's, 
that means like I, I achieved it. Like I got to the drunk part and not even understanding the safety aspect on top of just being an alcoholic. Like I didn't understand it. And as you know, the years went on, I was drinking out drinking everybody around me and being in, I also bartended for a long time. That's where a lot of my drinking went down. I was bartending for like five years and a lot of my drinking happened there. Um, kind of for obvious reasons, one to get through it because it's a really tough industry to be in as a woman. Um, but also like, it was easy. It was free. You know, they didn't know that, but I was free. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and I'm like, they'll fire me. Just kidding. I quit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, being in this industry, it's interesting though, in Los Angeles. And I hate to say this because somebody told me it when I came into a room, they go, I was like, Oh, I'm just here on a court card. And they were like, actually in Los Angeles, being sober is cool. And I was like, what? And what's weird is it's become cool. There's like a lot of people that do it and not, you know, just um, because they're alcoholics, but for health reasons or like, you know, body image and, and being in this industry. Um, but it, it is normal. It is normal to have alcohol at events, sponsored by events. And the thing was, is I would make sure that I was at those events or I was a part of those things. Like I didn't perform on stage sober until I got sober. Like I, when I, I was in a sketch comedy group for years, um, is really where I started kind of doing comedy after I got out of college. Um, I joined this group and I was with them for a few years and, um, we would like hand out beers during the show Um, and slowly like my routine before a show that I had to have this like routine was like, I would get one of those big, big fucking Newcastles that you would get at like seven 11. Oh yeah. And it went from one of those to, I had to have two of those before a show. And then I would have to have two of those and I'd have to make sure I had something during the show. And then where were we going after the show? What was our local bar? Um, you know, once I started going to a bar a few times and I'd be like, how does I always remember my order you know that's when mm-hmm. things started being like one I thought it was cool like I always thought drinking was just cool um yeah and uh because I feel like I mean I hate to say society but like they make it seem just like oh well you know you have a glass of wine at the end of the night and I was like you have a bottle or two of wine at the end of the night the first one's that's just the, to get yeah. warmed up right exactly you know? and- um, oh, man. Yeah. How how would you say because we talk a lot about this on the podcast as myself and my my co-host is artists of any kind. Um, mm-hmm. How how has your performance changed bef- bef- from when you were drinking and performing? Um, not only how you felt about it and maybe how it was perceived versus when you got sober and we get up on stage and perform. Um mm. Did you find that transition difficult? Were you concerned that sobriety would bring a stop to what, I mean, did you imagine that alcohol was the fuel for creativity at any point? Yeah. uh, It was the, I mean, I mean, like, like you would, anyone I feel like would think, you know, but this is for me. So for me, um, it was the, it was a, you know, it was the icebreaker. 
to get on stage. Like I would didn't have to worry about if I was, if I bombed or if a joke didn't land or if I was, you know, I really like outrageous comedy. Like my favorite, um, one of my all time favorite comedians is Kristen Wiig. I just think I love mm-hmm. how quirky and weird she is. And so if I had enough alcohol in me, I could do that because I would have the strength to push through. And, um, and, you know, since getting sober and performing, like I didn't really even do stand up until I got sober. I was too scared to do anything. I did a lot of sketch comedy, I did a little group comedy. And so when I got sober, one of the things on my bucket list, like for life was just like, I want to see if I can do this on my own. And what's interesting is like getting sober gave me that ability, which is weird because you would think about it the other way. But it was just like, I've always had this determined to like, I've always been the type of person that wants to face my fears. Like I'm terrified of heights, but I fucking love roller coasters and like I'm that person like I went skydiving for New Year's Day like I I want to challenge myself and so getting sober has really honestly like kind of changed my perspective and made me like force myself to do things that are going to challenge me and scare me and so like being able to really feel feelings is what has been like the biggest challenge in sobriety and also the most exciting thing um you know, I was just talking to someone recently about like, when you feel that pain of like, of sadness or fear or whatever, it's just showing you that like, this is one more hurdle to jump through. Like, and before I couldn't feel that because I was numbing it out. And I remember specifically, like, I had a, we had these two huge opportunities to perform um, for a festival in San Francisco. And the first year went incredibly well. I got like general meetings with people, um, you know, uh, for these studios and stuff. And then we got asked back in the next year, I, it was my alcoholism had just taken like to a whole new level because by the time I went on stage for our performance, like I was so blacked out that I was like mumbling. I couldn't really get the words out. I remember my boyfriend at the time was just like, you need to slow down. And I was like, what the, and I would get so defensive. I was so quick to get angry. And I still struggle with that to this day. It's like my biggest character defect (laughs) is my defensiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah. And I remember just like, you know, I wouldn't say I ruined that up. I mean, maybe I did ruin that opportunity. I don't know. Maybe this is something I haven't really thought about too much yet, but I do remember it being like a, a big moment because I noticed it in his eyes and I knew it in my mind and like, I could, I could see it. And then that night, you know, we, they had these nights where like all the performers would like go out and like go mingle and network. And I passed out and a few people wanted to go. My friend wanted to wake me up and my boyfriend was like, let her sleep, let her sleep. Like she, cause he knew if I got up, I would just back to it and just keep drinking. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting because as a performer, like looking back, it's like, I don't ever want to say I regret, you know, what happened, like what I did to my you know, to my career by drinking all the time and constantly being hungover. Um, but I will say that like, 
I definitely missed out on opportunities. I definitely could have pursued things better, but, um, yeah, I had, yeah, I was going to say, as I had a very similar moment, um, I'd always wanted to be a radio DJ. I wanted to be a radio DJ since I was in high school and listening to college radio back in the nineties when it was still cool, quote unquote. And, and one of my best friends from high school ended up, I went to high school in Vegas and he ended Mm -hmm. up being the first tour manager for the killers. And I went to high school with the drummer and, um, just years go by and they're on tour and it's a big thing. And they're playing the key arena in Seattle and, and we're there and it's, we're backstage and it's awesome. And, you know, it's rock and roll. And, and my friend Ryan, you know, he says to me, I would really, you know, introduce you to these people. He was talking about getting, getting me a job with like some, with some aspect of it. I don't remember. I was so drunk. He says, but John, you're just too drunk. I can't introduce you to these people. And in, of all those times of blacking out and, and forgetting that one sticks with me was this, no, you can't do it because you drank too much. And that's sort of like, well, shit. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I understand the feeling of, and I know regret is not really a very useful tool these days for me. So I don't really, I don't think I carry too much regret, but it's always there like that. And I, I guess I use that more so as a reminder now today as to why I do not want to fall back, why even though it might be a beautiful day for an ice-cold beer, that where it can lead. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. And you mentioned, too, being hungover all the time. All I mean, the time. What, a, <laughs> what a waste of energy and time and doing anything. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Oh, my fucking God, all the time. <laughs> I think about that so often. I was so... The other day I had a work meeting and it was supposed to start at like 8 a.m. And I was making coffee and um, one of my, you know, one of my things I will not give up is coffee um, for right now. But that's where I'm at right now. I can't. I love it. Um, But I was uh, making coffee and for some reason I started getting lightheaded and I was like, oh, I just need to drink water. I don't like water. I never liked water. This is why my hangovers were fucking gnarly. I don't like water. And so I would, um, I started getting lightheaded and, and I get on this call and I was like, oh my God, I haven't felt like I was going to throw up since I used to drink like that nauseating feeling. And I would just power through. I was like, I thought, I mean, who knows? I thought I was the like queen of getting through a hangover and just plowing through the next day because I was hungover all of the time. So I just had to make it work. I couldn't eat like because anything it would just make me nauseous I wouldn't be able to smoke cigarettes because it just made me nauseous and I would just have to wait until it was the appropriate time to drink again because I was so hung over every single day and now I think back and I'm like I don't even know how I did that like bravo (laughs) for trying to get through hangover after hangover and plowing through because now I could oof it was the worst though it was so terrible I, um, I tended bar for, I still do, um, oh, nice. for 15 years. And, um, I think that was part of it was that I always knew that one, I could go, I was going to go where the alcohol was readily available and easy access. And two, if I had a beer or drink before work, like at the bar across around the corner or whatever, 
it wasn't that big a deal because I was in my element. I knew where I was going and I was going to be comfortable and it was going to be dark and everybody was going to be drinking and who was going to know. And so I mm-hmm. think that that was something that helped me to perpetuate. But trying to do anything before my bar shift was impossible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, did you did you tend bar? You tended bar there in L.A. while you were drinking. Did you continue to do so after you got sober? Or... I did. Yes, I uh, I recently left my bar in I think end of February. Okay. This past February, yeah, was my last uh, was it shift. Was and it I, hard? Yeah. What's interesting is um, so. When my drinking was at its absolute worst, I actually, my sobriety date is uh, Christmas Eve of 2017, <laughs> um, which feels really cool. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just when it got to, I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I went through a really bad breakup, like a really, really bad breakup. He had been my friend for years and, uh, and we were together for a very long time and, uh, we, part of the reason we ended was my drinking and my depression. And, you know, it was just, I was a mess. Um, after that, that was like September of 2017. And after that, I just like barrel rolled down and I was drinking at my bar all the time. Um, but there was one lovely evening where I was drinking and drove home yet again. And I actually got pulled over this time. And I remember when I got pulled over, the cop was like, the second I rolled down the window, he's like, smells like alcohol. And I was like, yeah, I'm a bartender. (laughs) And he was like, okay. And I was like, he's like, I can smell it on you and like on your breath. And I was like, I bartend. Like I was so drunk. I thought that was like, "Uh, hello, get out of jail free card. I'm a bartender. And he's like, no. Um, And... So after, you know, doing the tests and knowing immediately right then and there, I was like, and I had already been wondering, I was in uh, really intense trauma therapy and I knew um, from talking to my trauma therapist, she was like, you need to, you should start going to meetings and you should start like, you know, kind of figuring things out. And I was like, uh, okay. And, um, yeah, sure. And when I got pulled over, um, that didn't stop me, of course, but that was really where I realized, um, that I really thought I had a problem. And then I had to, you know, do certain things in order to, uh, not get put in jail because I blew so high. And after that is when I still was bartending and still drinking, but then I was like, well, if I'm going to drink, then I'll just Uber to work. And I'll figure out a way to get home or, you know, and that was, that was kind of my, uh, my way to resolve it. Uh, so then once I finally got sober and I was bartending, I had kind of already pulled back from drinking at work. Um, Mm -hmm. because I was like, well, like, I know I can't drink and drive. I know I can't do that. So I'm just going to have to figure out how to not drink at work. And, you know, it was just like a lot of soda waters and cranberry juices and things of that nature to just try and like coffees. It was, yeah, yeah, it was not, it was not fun. Um, but once I got sober, um, and I still bartended for what a year and like two months, um, it, it wasn't hard 
to, to be around it. Like the obsession had lifted for sure. Um, you know, uh, from the moment that I woke up on Christmas Eve and I was, I remember I said to my sister, I was like, I just, I can't, I can't anymore. I can't. And, um, so was it more of a cumulative thing or was there a specific moment where you, was there a moment of clarity or was it just, I have, it was, <laughs> it was, I was having like a lot of really bad blackouts. There was a lot of, so yeah, it was kind of like a, um, like what I like to think of is when you like skip a rock on a lake and it just mm -hmm. like bounces and then slowly it just sinks in. That's like what mine was feeling. Like it was like just bouncing until it just sank. And the night wasn't anything crazy. Like the night before it was like, just supposed to be this, you know, regular day with my sister and like having a nice day. And next thing I know, I'm pounding Evan Williams, supposed to be making like old fashions at home. I loved old fashions. Um, and then I just loved whiskey and then I just love straight whiskey, you know. Um, but it went from like buying one of those big $20 Evan Williams at Ralph's to, you know, going out for sushi, pounding that, and then waking up in the morning and being like, that's not how the day was supposed to go, you know, getting in fights with my family. And it was just like, it was just, uh, like, I, you know, it wasn't, um, I've had friends that have gotten sober and they had like big bottoms, you know, where the next day they were like, I actually cannot do this anymore. I might die. Um, and I think I had really bad blackouts and I, I know I had really bad bottoms, but, um, that one was just like a, like a just demoralizing, loathing, shameful, like, I can't believe I did this again. And that's not how this was supposed to go. Um, and yeah, so that was like two months after my DUI was when that happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, and then, so you're tending bar and mm -hmm. you are sober and figuring that whole thing out. I know that <laughs> for me, I found one of the, one of the tools that I used was that at first it was, it was very difficult to not judge people in front of me and yeah. be envious of people who quote unquote could just have a drink and enjoy themselves. But also I found that, um, I would use the people that drank to excess as, a um nightly reminder of um why i didn't want to do it anymore yeah and and it it it, it worked you know it worked and and also i thought well bank tellers count money all the time and they don't they don't steal money so i guess i could pour vodka and i don't have to drink it you know yeah. so um that's so funny i have a full joke about that because people ask me or used to ask me all the time, like, how do you bartend and you don't drink? Because I was that type of person that I sometimes blab my story a little too hard. I'm like very mm -hmm. much like I'll deal with it later. Um, and that's not great. Uh, so I, I was very upfront when I stopped drinking. I told everybody at my bar because I thought, you know, it was very easy. I was like, I can, I can bartend and not drink. And so I had this whole joke or I have this whole joke in my standup, like, oh, well, do all lifeguards swim, you know, like do all, what is it? Like do all librarians read? Like, yeah, no, I have no idea how I do it. I have no idea. I just like one day it just was gone. It was gone. And you know, that's what they say. Like, you know, 
it was lifted, right? Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's so crazy because what I was noticing though that even though I could bartend and not drink, I was emotionally the same person the second I walked into that bar. I had so many resentments at that place. I did not get along with, you know, people that owned it. It was just like, it was a whole thing. And I was noticing that even though I wasn't drinking, I was still the same person. And that's what ultimately got me to leave is I I couldn't continue getting healthy being there. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I've been to great environments where I know like, and the thing that was beautiful too, is there's people around me too, other coworkers of mine that were also getting sober or had been sober. So that was really helpful to be around that. And we would like kind of powwow when we got to each other and, and you know, that person would be like, Oh, you know, like I'm, I'm really struggling. Like I got like a drip of it on my mouse and, and we would like kind of have powwow and have our own little like sharing meetings together in the corner. Um, and kind of help each other out. And like, I honestly think like that was also a big part of what kept me, um, kept me sober that year of still bartending was like being around someone else that really needed me just as much as I needed him. Um, and we could just really relate about everything that we were struggling and going through. Um, so that was really, really helpful, but yeah, ultimately it was just, uh, it was my, it was just, I was still angry I was still so angry and yeah. uh, it wasn't helping me heal. Yeah. I mean, I don't know any other job because I would hear it in the rooms too. And they'd say, well, it's not like somebody, you know, like you ha- you slipped and had an accident and got a mouthful of beer. And, and it was the only job where I was changing a keg and literally didn't do it right. And it would just like shoot right in my face. And so <laughs> yeah, it was just, just like, no, it really is an occupational hazard. I swear. And, yeah. um, I had a couple of times where, well, one of the very first times within the first month of sobriety where I went to a bar that I used to work at and I knew the bartender and he just slid this drink that he was just some different drink he was making. And without thinking, my hand went in for the straw taste. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I'm flush. I'm hot. I freaking out. Like what is happening? Am I going to turn into a werewolf right now? And (laughs) I didn't. And that was, but I, and I still don't count that necessarily because my intention was not. Um, and that's something that I struggled with. I didn't tell anybody about a straw taste for the Mm -hmm. longest time because I was Mm -hmm. scared that it meant I was, I don't know, weak or whatever. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting because I've heard, um, I remember hearing things about, about that and, and, you know, for me, it's like, I, I remember one time I was bartending and like, it genuinely did get on my lip and it felt like a spider landed on me. I was like, get up, get up, get up, get up. up." And I was like freaking out. Like, and you know, now it's, and then towards the end of bartending, like it wasn't like that, but I would have these moments where, um, I could be around it most of the time, but there would be these one like little instances where, I would like, you know, get, I had this whole joke about getting lightheaded off of a cold brew and I did like, I got full blown lightheaded off of the cold brew and on stage I say it in a ha ha, like, look at me. I still got it. Like I can still like stumble and make it work in that moment. I was having a panic attack. Cause I was like, this feels the same. And now all I want is more things to make it feel this way. Like lightheaded out of like, because you just, 
you don't remember that kind of those memories anymore. You know, you don't really remember that feeling after a certain amount of time. You don't remember what it's like to not be in control of your body. When in those moments before, all you wanted was to not be in control of your body. Like you just didn't want to be in your mind. Well, for me, I didn't want to be in my mind. I didn't want to be aware. I just wanted things to be easier. I wanted to load off. And then in that moment, like drinking a cold brew, I got lightheaded at my bar and I was like, uh, I don't like sour beers, but let me try this, you know, like, and I didn't thankfully, but it's, it's interesting that that's your mind is a tricky, tricky bitch. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find, do you find being in comedy clubs and stuff like that now as a sober person is difficult? Um, are there any aspects or people usually respectful when you say, (laughs) yeah, I actually find it interesting because there's in the comedy world, there's a lot of sober people. I think a lot of comics usually struggle with some sort of addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's actually, it's not, it's interesting because you find the people that are, that are like you, you know, you find the, the sober people, you find the people that understand it or they, you know, somebody in their family went through addiction and they can relate to it and, or they're in, you know, they're struggling with something else, some other demon. It's like a demon. I don't want to ever fucking say that again. Um, but they, they, you know, they struggle with it and it's, it's interesting because yeah, it really isn't, I guess I've also not let myself go there mentally, like to think about, Oh, I'm missing out. Um, because for so long when I was bartending, I was missing out because I was working, you know, Friday, Saturday nights. I wasn't going out with all my friends. So I was partying like by myself. And then I would drink really heavily when I got home. And um, I think, you know, now being in clubs and stuff and like and being around other comedians, it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, no, I just I never was really like partying like this um, before okay. because I was always bartending. Um But no, I don't think, honestly, for me, it hasn't been super difficult. I think sometimes it's like, oh, like you have that like FOMO feeling of like fear of missing out of like, oh, everybody wants to like go grab drinks. And then I have noticed sometimes like people are like, is it okay if we drink around you? And I'm like, I bartended for like a year (laughs) in sobriety. I'm totally fine, guys. Um, And then you, you know, you get used to making the haha jokes that are like, (laughs) people are like, uh, and you're like, oh, this would kill somewhere else. But mm-hmm. when you just want to be so honest, um, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I guess that when I think about all the comedians um, that I listen to or read, and whether it's Mark Maron or Pete Holmes or Russell yeah. Brand or, um, I'm, I know I'm missing a few other ones in there, and you just, I. It's helped me so much to listen to people. And I, that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you as well is um, people who are who tend to be open with their feelings um, with the really, really awful bad stuff and to do it on stage and and all the, the mental health issues that oftentimes are found in that um, mm-hmm. in that career path. Yeah. Uh, and then to see people who have come out of it and yeah. because it's very easy to, to, it would be very easy to continue to, to drink. And there's yeah. lot, there's, it, I mean, for anybody, but I imagine in show businesses as well, uh, there's plenty of people who would help you on your way 
to a path of self-destruction. And so to see people who decide not to do that, and again, also that it's 2019 and there's so many people who aren't and that you, like you said, it's cool now, which is like, it's cool now. Like shit. <laughs> like I, maybe I, I just say that to make it cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, that's guys, it's cool now. Everybody, it's, it's cool. fucking cool now. It, Be sober. Right. Um, so yeah, no, it is. I mean, that's the thing that's so. It's it's interesting because I didn't really, you know, I the first time I was honest about how I was drinking. Besides everybody around me being like, "Janetta drinks a lot," I'm like, "What are you talking about? Everybody else pounds four bottles of wine a night," and realizing that's not true. Um, and you know, until that breakup happened, I really wasn't like, I would go to a therapist after like a relationship ended or something like traumatic happened to me. And the second that my drinking started to get questioned, I'd be like, you know what? I think I'm cured. And then I would leave that therapist and I would go on to the, you know, the next destruction in my life. And I would come back. And this was the first therapist that I was fully, fully honest with. And I was like, this is how much I drink. This is how I drink. And it was through that, that, um, that she coincidentally, I went to her for trauma therapy for EMDR and she coincidentally happened to also be an addiction therapist. And I had no idea. And she started, what? what is, I'm sorry. What is EMDR? EMDR is a form of trauma therapy. It's like, um, I'm going to botch this, but it's like a way to connect the physical trauma with the mental trauma. Um, So it's like connecting the body to the mind. It's kind of the new, it's like the, uh, cause there's talk therapy and that's kind of getting like the, the old way. And this isn't, this is the new way that it's working. So it's like, it's a lot of relation to the way that animals, um, like when an animal gets like attacked in the wild, it's like the fight or flight kind of thing. And so an animal usually like like runs away or freezes and that's the whole like PTSD thing of it. Um, but then there's this way that this person saw that this animal would shake it out of its body and then it would be able to like go on with the day. And as humans, we usually just stuff things down and we don't really like release it and it kind of just stays in our in our body. So when I get like triggered by something that's really like might not seem like anything, it can emotionally take a toll on my body and on my mind. And so it's a form of therapy that I've been doing for the whole time that I've been sober, even before. Um, but when I went to her, she, um, she happened to be an addiction therapist and I had absolutely no idea. And so she's the first one that started telling me about like ways that you can get sober. Um, and that's, I like a hundred percent give my sobriety to her, you know, yeah. she's the one that like showed me, um, cause I had, you know, I had family that was like went to rehab and I had, you know, but nobody talks about it. And I think as I'm going full circle, um, you know, I think for me it was when I got sober, you know, I wanted to scream it from the mountaintops because it was like this new thing that it, and it, it consumes your life when you get sober. It's everything you eat, drink, breathe is sobriety Mm -hmm. because that's what you have to do. Um, or I had to do. And, um, I wanted so badly to 
help people that had been through trauma and, um, and had, you know, struggled with addiction. And I really wanted to be able to use that in my comedy and give a voice to these people that were struggling with these things because, you know, it's something that I struggled with. And I felt like if I had heard it more or if I had seen it more, or maybe I was just blind to it, but like if I had seen it more, if if it had been discussed more and talked about more, like maybe I would have been quote saved sooner, you know, who knows, but it's Mm -hmm. just like, I, I think it's so powerful when people get to like fully open up about the things that have happened to them and, um, either bring light to it or just, um, open up about it. Like I recently got this opportunity to perform with a bunch of sober comedians and for a room of sober people. And it was like the most powerful experience because one, I got to be fully transparent about my sobriety. And also it was just like, it was just so honest and raw and real. And that's what like kept me sober is that vulnerability and that honesty. And like, and that's what I love about comedy is that that's what can make people laugh the most is because they can relate to it. And, um, you know, with me peeing on a wine rack, (laughs) it's just kind of like, (laughs) um, well, and I think the joke yeah. is, well, and the thing that I that that struck home about the joke was not just the peeing on the wine rack, but that yeah. this idea that we come out of this alcoholic fog and these things that people do, people that adults are supposed to do, all of a sudden becomes this sort of almost like this this, and you joked about it, but this source of mm-hmm. pride. Well, and I peed on the I peed on the toilet like an adult. <laughs> You know, and so and you you begin to see all of the the just all the ridiculousness and all of the 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 horrible, horrible behavior that was not doing anyone any good. And certainly not not myself, you know, because I was right there doing the same kind of shit. And um, so I think it's great. Like I I listen to you say a bunch of room full of sober comedians with a room full of a a sober audience. I just imagine, you know, the energy, the focus, the the level of respect and empathy and all those things. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. maybe that's why it's always great to go to meetings for me is because people say whatever they want and everybody is open to it and accepts it. And very rarely is anybody heckled or booed for anything you know exactly Um, so what an awesome to be a part of yeah it was incredible it was so I mean it was the most like it was the coolest thing I've gotten to do thus far in like any form of my comedy um and yeah it's um I was gonna say something that you just said about oh Um, yeah, because for me, like growing up, I grew up in a very religious Christian Lutheran home and, and community. And it was so much fear-based and it was so much like you're bad, you did wrong. Um, like, and to be in a community, uh, and just to be like a sober human and be like, yeah, this happened to me, but how can I like, what can I do now with these things that happened to me? And how can I like help others? And how can, how can I tell my story? That's going to be a way 
um, that can maybe reach somebody else and, and help them. And like, even before, um, I got sober, I, I have been doing like a lot of, uh, work in Los Angeles. Like I work a lot with the downtown women's center. Um, I work now for an amazing company that helps, uh, Alzheimer's patients. Like it's always been something that I've loved to do, especially like in Los Angeles, like the homeless community is ridiculous. There's just, it's overtaking the city. And, um, and a lot of that is the same struggles is addiction. And Mm -hmm. if there's a way that we can all like be more honest and communicative and like be talking with each other honestly and openly, and I'm not saying like you have to like crack yourself open and like spill out all of your truth, but to just relate to people on more of a real level, um, is just what I found in my sobriety. That is like the number one thing that keeps me sober is even in any of my friendships, my relationships with people that may not even be sober. It's like, I need to have healthy, honest relationships in my life. Um, I can't hold on to this like resentment crap anymore. I just need to have this vulnerable honesty with people. And it's, it's, it's what I find beautiful. And I think it's also what like a lot of how, you know, television is turning and, um, and the industry is turning now is getting to that more honest place of, you know, with the me too movement and, um, mm-hmm. with times up and with all of this, you know, people being honest about their addictions and mental health. Like that's another whole thing that like, wasn't on that, you know, clip that was from the laugh factory was everything I talked about with my depression and how, you know, I've struggled with not even having like the cool mental illness. Like I have depression. Nobody likes to talk about depression. Everybody wants to talk about anxiety because anxiety is the cool one. Like, like, I heard, um, I heard that one too. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's silly, but anyway, yeah. So that's, that's the type of comedy that I love. That's the type of like industry I like to be a part of. And that's the things that I want to create and continue to create is a safe place for people to talk about their trauma and their addiction and their (laughs) mental health. So, yeah, that's, that's great. Um, is there, is there anything that you are struggling with today in your Mm -hmm. sobriety? Is there any one part that is more difficult than the other or, Mm. um, I think there's there's a few things that are um that I've been struggling with probably more recently um the change you know you change so much and the people around you might change in different ways mm-hmm. um I think that's been really hard I have like an amazing group of friends I have a you know a group of sober friends. I have an amazing group of non-sober friends. I have people that like are the reason I got sober because they saw, like I could see it in their eyes that I was destroying myself and they loved me so much that they, you know, had had to be like, I love you, but I, you got like, something's got to change. And I think, I think it's just something that I've been, you know, feeling a lot lately is um, like, you're just on different frequencies sometimes with people that are in your lives. And, you know, sometimes you're on the same frequency and sometimes you're not. And I think what's been 
hard for me right now. It's like the one way I could probably relate it to people that, you know, aren't sober is like, you know, when your friend gets married and you're still single or when your friends have kids and you don't like you're just in a different place in your lives. And I think that's been probably the hardest for me lately is knowing that like I'm, you know, constantly looking to change and grow and figure out how to better myself and like check my, you know, wrongs and check myself and, you know, also try and get out of the, my fucking head. And I'm not like the end all be all and mm-hmm. all those things that, you know, you, you want to keep growing and keep getting better. And then, you know, there's people around you that are just growing and getting better in different ways. And yeah. maybe they don't struggle with the same things that I struggle with. Um, so that's always been like, well, that's more recently been the thing that I've been feeling a lot. And, um, and then just always, you know, my past, you know, as, as we do this process, your past starts, the onion starts peeling mm-hmm. you start getting to the center and the center's really brutal <laughs> <laughs> and you start seeing why the fuck you are the way you are. And that's, that's been also pretty, pretty rough for me as well as, you know, seeing the truth. But at the same time with that comes such beauty because you get to just become this new person and yeah. keep growing so, and changing. Um, and then, uh, with being this new person and being the sober person, I'm wondering what are the, like, are there, are there any guiding, um, are there any, what did I write? Are there any like guiding principles that you use on a daily? Like what does your program consist of? Like you personally, as far as, I don't know, prayer, meditation, writing, any of these things that, um, yeah, that you find helpful in daily sobriety. Um, um, meditation for sure. Uh, prayer is very hard for me. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm constantly working on it. Like I said, grew up in a very religious home. So that one's always struggled is a struggle. Um, but I live in California where, you know, crystals and tarot cards are super fun (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, moon cycles and moon fairies. That's Mm -hmm. my thing. It's just all this hippie shit. Cause, Uh witches and potions just because I don't know I need something to try and connect to it's it's a it's a daily struggle trying to find something but I think my day-to-day is like I I love plants I um I take care of my plants and um and that's I don't I'm not an animal person the whole thing in my stand-up as well but I so my plants are kind of like the things that I take care of like I'm taking care of myself um And then another thing is I have been directed to do this every day and I wrote it on my mirror um, because I struggle a lot with, um, you know, the self-pity party and also thinking I'm not good enough and I don't deserve it or am I really an alcoholic or, you know, the self-deprecating things that I say in my brain to myself and, um, and, you know, the there's like the little child that everybody talks about that's inside that you have to take care of and so on my mirror I wrote you're my favorite fucking person and so every day when I wake up and I go to the bathroom and I'm in my bathroom on the mirror it says you're my favorite fucking person and it just reminds me that like I need because it's really easy for me to make other people and other things like my higher power and to make um objects or relationships boyfriends girlfriends it doesn't matter like to make these people or these things 
a higher power like was my was alcohol for me for so long um i need to remember that if i you know the people that that checked me when i was really struggling i can't just be doing this for them because i can't help other people if i can't help myself and yeah. that's like the number one thing that I did right when I got sober is being of service was the easiest thing in the world for me. I was like, great. Don't have to think about myself. I can do everything for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I can just, I completely put it into that. And, you know, and I was directed to be like, nope, you have to figure out what self-love and self-care really means. And you really have to like check in and try and find some sort of spiritual practice. So on a day-to-day, -day, it's really that. It's like, you're my favorite fucking person. I'm just, you know, I gotta, I gotta stay sober in order to, like, keep these people that I love around me, around me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Uh, is there, do you want to let our listeners know where they could find you online or in real life? Or is there anything going, <laughs> is there anything going on? coming up for you that you're excited about or <laughs> where they can find me my address no I'm just no, kidding. no. Um, <laughs> just kidding no um my instagram is my name Janetta st Clair. um that's my real name and uh what do i have coming up i feel like oh i'm doing like <laughs> i'm like i don't know if i should say that um yeah, I mean, I'm always posting stuff on my social okay. media. So Perfect. my Instagram and my Twitter, but I don't really use Twitter. So my Instagram's probably the best, but it's at Janetta St. Clair. Perfect. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. This has been cool. really awesome. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>